uh, a follow-up of chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, which said there's some problems here, basically, with the church at Corinth, and the Lord's Supper was a problem. Uh, first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For There must be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when ye are judged, we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Now, I guess we, quite honestly, if we were going to fulfill what was going on in the early church days, uh, we would have just had the Lord's Supper right after we ate. Because they had what was called, it was, they called it a love feast. And it was a meal, and then it was followed with a time when they commemorated the Lord's death. Uh, we don't do that any longer. And I think, to, for some reason, possibly, it's 1 Corinthians 11 why we don't do the meal anymore. Because there were some that were using it wrong and abusing it. And so, uh, he talked about eating at home. Just eat at home. Eat at home. Don't talk about eating anymore. I had too much to eat already. But uh, he talked about that. But that was what was taking place here in this passage. And uh, we're going to take opportunity now to kind of dig through this passage and learn some of the things that are very important for us to know and be reminded of. So let's ask God to help us. Uh, we need your assistance, Lord, to, to stay a, a, alert and attentive to your word, uh, to learn things about it, and to be reminded of things that we already know. And as we have this uh, Lord's Supper, as we have this time together as a, a church, I pray that it would be a fruitful time, but I also pray it would be a very serious time where we consider what you have said and live well-pleasing to you. And Lord, we'll thank you for what you'll do and how you'll help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Henry Nguyen wrote these words. He said, a few years ago, Bob, the husband of a friend of mine, died suddenly of a heart attack. My friend decided to keep her two young children away from the funeral, and it was her decision. She thought it would be too hard for them to see their father 
uh, put into the ground. Well, for years after Bob's death, the cemetery remained a fearful, dangerous, as far as they were concerned, kind of a dangerous place for them. They were just afraid of going. One day, my friend asked me to visit the grave with her and invite the children to come along. The elder was too afraid to go, but the younger one decided to come with us. When we got to the place where Bob was buried, the three of us sat down on the grass around the stone engraved with these words, a kind and gentle man. As we sat, we reminisced about Bob. I said, maybe one day we should have a picnic here. This is not only a place to think about death, but also a place to rejoice in our life. I think Bob will be most honored when we find new strength here to live rather than see it as something to fear. At first, this seemed like a strange idea, having a meal on top of a tombstone. But isn't that similar to what Jesus told his disciples to do when he asked them to share bread and juice in his memory? A few days later, my friend took her elder child to the grave, the younger one having convinced his sister there was nothing to fear. Now they often go and they tell each other stories about Bob and about life and remember some wonderful things. You know, I thought about what Newman said in that uh, little story. And while I agree we're contemplating Christ's death, this is not a meal at a tombstone. This is a meal at an empty tomb. And it's a time for us to remember what Jesus has done. Uh, the Lord's Supper does seem to be a strange thing to commemorate, doesn't it? I mean, why not have a resurrection day? You say, well, we have that at Easter, right? But why not have one every day? You say, well, every Sunday is. Okay, fair enough. Um, but it's through the shed blood. It's through the death. It's through the agony of the cross that our sins are cared for and dealt with. And yes, the resurrection is vital to it. It's part of it. But we need to remember the death, and Jesus Christ thought it that important that before his death, he said, this is what's going to happen, and I want you to remember it. And then that it was followed through and that the church continued this practice, this what we call ordinance, seems to remind us of how important it truly is. So I do have an, an outline, and I have a nice, beautiful color for you today, white. Sorry, I ran off copies and they happen to be on the white paper rather than something colored. So there you go. So now you have the exciting new color of white. And if you'd like it, I'd like you to uh, just make notes available for your benefit, all right, for your help. Not necessarily something you have to do, but sometimes it's helpful to be able to take it, pull it out of your Bible, look at it later on. And so I want to encourage you to, to think about doing that. So let's look at our passage. Let's walk through it. And we're going to begin in verses 17 to 22 with the conditions and condemnation. What was going on? What led to this portion of Scripture? And why did he deal with this with the church at Corinth? The conditions and the condemnation. And there's something actually that I would have missed. I've never seen it. I've never noticed it before because many times when I've come to this passage, I saw it as... A condemnation, something that the church had an issue with, things weren't right, and they needed to get it right. But I do want you to start by understanding the choice they made was right. The choice was right. Sometimes in looking at a passage, we can miss profound truth that's clearly there, but missed 
because it's not part of the main story. So I want to bring out one of those things. Um, look at verse 17. And I, I want you to see that there's a, a phrase there that's going to be mentioned as well. Look at verse 17, read it to yourself. Then look at verse 18 and see if you see the same phrase. And then uh, look at verse 20 and see if you see the same phrase again. And tell me what it is, and that way I'll know you're still awake. When they come together, thank you very much. All right, at least I know one is awake. All right, and I suspect some others are as well. When they come together, uh, please note that their choice was right. And, and what I mean by that is that three times we're told this, they came together. And the point is that, uh, is I know dealing with problems in regard to the Lord's Supper, but the believers did something. And they, it's clear they did it on a regular basis. They had a planned time for believers to convene or company one with another. That's what the word means. And so when they came together, they, they had this, this plan in mind. And I bring it up because, well, for a lot of reasons, and not that you necessarily need this, but some people don't understand the need for church. They don't understand the importance of it. They don't understand that God has designed that people gather together. And uh, Hebrews chapter 10 talks about that. But it's interesting that he took time three times to tell us that that's what it's did. When you come together, when you come together, when you have been coming together, as you have made this a practice in your life, and it's just something that's a sideline. It's not necessarily the main message of this text. But he did remind us that this church, with all of their problems, still understood the need to be in God's house, to meet with God's people, and they also saw the need for this ordinance that they would meet, and they would meet together with the purpose that they were going to have the Lord's Supper, which is kind of interesting because he doesn't even call it. He's not willing to call it the Lord's Supper. Do you see that in verse 20? Verse 20 is actually, in a sense, a mockery. Hey, look, you say you're meeting together. You tell me you're meeting together. You are meeting together, and you say it's for the Lord's Supper, but it's not because what's been going on has been, a, if you would, a mockery of this very important and solemn time uh, for, God's, for God's people. So the goal, or at least what was going on, the choice they originally made was right to gather with God's people. Now, uh, the second thing is, if you want to, under, in, in, under that same point, is you need to do it right, okay? And now that, that wasn't, well, that's not one of the points, but you need to do it right because just meeting together is not, is not necessarily the end. We need to make sure that we're doing the things that are right when we do meet together. Now, verse 2, or the second thing to think about is the contention was wrong. In verse 18, he said, there were divisions among you. And he said, I partly believe it. It was interesting. He had just heard this. But he believed there were contentions in the church. All right? Why did he believe there were contentions in the church? Because he knew something. And this is interesting because we don't actually battle with this as much anymore today. And the reason why? Because there's denominations all around, and people have basically left the church. But at this time, for the church at Corinth, and it would have been true of any one of the churches, there only was one church, okay? There weren't different denominations. There weren't different groups that had gone out from uh, the, the, the true church. There weren't, uh, you know, there, there wasn't the, the Presbyterians and the, and the Methodists and, uh, and, you know, all the other uh, different 
what isms and schisms and everything else that we find in our world today because they were within the church. And so Paul wasn't surprised that there were contentions in the church because he understood this, that even in the true church, there were going to be false teachers. He brings that point out. Uh, he said in verse 19, for there must be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Now, I am thankful. Not that I'm, I'm glad there's a bunch of churches. I'm thankful that people went out from the truth, not because they left the truth, but because it, it makes it easier, okay? But the truth is, within the church, there were false teachers. And he expected that, and he knew that to be true, and that's why we have to earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered to the saints. That's, that is a message for another time. Peter even said this, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, 2 Peter 2 and verse 1. So there were contentions, but the contentions going on were wrong. Uh, you say, well, are, are contentions like that wrong? Well, if you're standing for that which is right, you're defending the truth, you're bringing false teachers out and saying they are teaching something that's wrong, and if you would, casting them out of the church, whatever might be the case, whatever they needed to do, or to con condemn them or, or rebuke them. Uh, the, the contention in that case isn't necessarily wrong. Those things will happen. But the contention here was wrong, and here's why. The conduct was self-centered. Look at verses 21 and 22. Okay, they were, they were meeting their own needs, and they weren't concerned about one another. That was it. They were having this feast, and it's interesting. You say it was a love feast. Well, it, it was if you had food. And if you didn't, they, they didn't share. Someone is asking about t today's uh, fellowship. Are, are, are we just going to bring our own food and eat our own food? And, and the answer is no, we're eating everyone else's. So thank you. Okay, I, I had some of yours, all right? And uh, uh, well, I don't know if I had some of yours specifically, but I had enough of a number, number of people's food. Uh, but that wasn't going on here. They, they had a, they had a um, okay, pot providence meal but it wasn't shared with everyone, all right? They ate it on their own, and, uh, and that was what was going on, and the conduct that was taking place was self-centered, and I'll tell you, self-centeredness is always condemned by God, and what was, what was so grievous, grievous about this is you think about this, they were going to come to a table that pictured someone who made the ultimate self-sacrifice, and these people weren't sacrificing for one another. They were only interested in themselves. And so no wonder he said, this isn't even the Lord's Supper. This is an embarrassment. This is shameful. You are people who aren't concerned about others, and you're coming to the table saying, we're so thankful that God was concerned about us. So there's some real serious things to think about. You say, well, we don't have that problem. We all ate, and we all shared, and everything's good. Well, it is as far as that's concerned, but I will say this. Self-centered conduct in a church is detrimental to the work of God and it's grievous to the work of God. And I, I am so thankful. I really am. I can't tell you enough how thankful I am for the wonderful spirit that's here amongst God's people. But I also know this, it can, it can go easily when people start focusing only on themselves. And so we have that talked about in this passage. Next, in verses 23 to 26, and I'm going to try to be brief so you, you can stay attentive to this. I want you to see the command. Maybe that's why you should take notes. The command. 
In verse 23, he said, I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. So this is something God made. He makes a point in verse 23. Um, and, and here's the point. This is something I received of the Lord, and I'm delivering it to you. And notice what he says, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Think about this. When was it? It was the night before he died for us. Couldn't Paul have worded it that way? The night before he died, he gave his life. Couldn't he have said the night of the Passover? It was the Passover. In fact, that was what they were meeting for. There's a lot of ways Paul could have worded this, but he said it this way in the night in which he was betrayed. And it, and it brings out the fact, well, who was there, by the way? And he called him a friend, didn't he? So here's Jesus Christ, knowing I'm going to die, knowing who's going to betray him, and yet saying, here's what I'm going to do. And I'm doing it willingly, I'm doing it for you. It really is interesting that he made that statement in the light in which our Lord was betrayed. And even though betrayed, even though people turned on him, even though his friends forsook him and refused to even admit they were part of the group, even though these things all took place, our Lord comes and he says, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for you. And I want you to know that. And so we have a point that is made. Then we have the practice commanded, verses 24 and 25. The Lord, when he was, had given thanks, break it. And that's another thing. He knew he was going to be betrayed. He knew the men were going to deny him. Hadn't he already said that to Peter? Okay, all these things come into pass. He knows he's going to die the next day. He knows it's going to be an agonizing death. And he sweats, as it were, just a little bit, a short time later, great drops of blood agonizes over this event that's going to take place. And yet, he prays and he does what? gives thanks. Um, I, I don't know about you, but that, that's, that's kind of challenging to me, to, um, that our, our Lord, in the midst of uh, one of the most agonizing and difficult times of life, is still giving thanks. Um, and then we're told the reason why this practice was commanded. He said, take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do, what is it for? All right, I, I'm just going to share this with you real quickly because it's important for us sometimes to know it's just us. It's just Sunday afternoon, it's us, okay? Um, you've heard the words consubstantiation, transubstantiation. If you haven't, you probably do need to know it. Two different churches teach that. It's false doctrine, and you need to understand that. Transubstantiation says that the body, the, the, the elements become the body and blood of Jesus Christ taught by the Roman Catholic Church that you're actually partaking of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, Christ suffered once for all. And uh, to constantly put, crucify him afresh is a, a reproach to the, to the name of Jesus Christ. It's totally contrary to what the Bible teaches. Um, and yet it's something that's practiced and it shouldn't be. Transubstantiation, that was consubstantiation. No, that was transubstantiation. Consubstantiation now i got to make sure I get it right, okay? 
is taught by the Lutheran church. And you know what that is? Is that after you partake, it becomes the body and blood of our Lord. But let me tell you something. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Here's what it says. Once for all. And Christ doesn't have to be crucified anew and afresh each and every time. He isn't. Jesus said there's a reason for this. What was the reason for it? Not to, part, to, not to eat of his body, okay, but to do it in remembrance. And it's an important point that we need to know. The practice is commanded. He wanted to remind us. You know why? Because we forget. Say, I would never forget that Christ died for me. I know that. But sometimes we can go through life and not live with that reality before us. Come on, isn't that true? You think about it. Uh, every year, I said every year, uh, when we have missions, it gives me an opportunity to rethink this matter of witnessing, the matter of, of sharing the gospel with people, matter of getting the gospel to the world. And it's a good thing. And the reason it's a good thing is because, you know, sometimes you can get in life and you can get in your ruts and you can forget about people. You can forget about handing out tracks. You can forget about those things. So having this ordinance is important because it gives us opportunity to once again be reminded, hey, Christ died for me. And what does that mean to me? Let me ask you, what, don't answer it out loud, but what does that mean to you? Does it mean what it should? So we need these times to remind us of that, to say, hey, okay, Christ died for me. Because we have, we have bad memories, you know? I hear about the guy who was invited to supper at home of an elderly couple, good friends of his. He was a guest, and he was impressed because his buddy kept proceeding requests to his wife with endearing terms. You know, honey, uh, sweetheart, pumpkin, darling, love, you know, my darling, dear, you know, whatever. And the couple had been married almost 70 years. seemed like they were just so much in love. Well, his wife went off to the kitchen. The man leaned over. He said to his buddy, I think it's wonderful all the years you've been married. You still call your wife those loving pet names? And, and the old man hung his head, and he said, I have to tell you the truth. I forgot her name 10 years ago. I just haven't been able to remember it. So, you know, maybe, maybe your memory isn't that, isn't that bad, okay? Um, but, but God knew that mankind needs constant reminders, okay? We do just need to think about this. And the bread and juice are, are poignant reminders of something great, something powerful, something amazingly sacrificial God did for us. And we need that. And, and finally, under that point, we have a, the, a pronouncement made. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show, show, shoo, shoo, yeah. The Lord's death till he come. You say, why are you trying to emphasize that word? Well, because I wasn't able to get it out because I'm about ready to fall asleep. There you go. Okay. But do you know what the word shoo literally means? It's interesting. It means to proclaim, declare, or preach also had in part of the definition promulgate and that means to make known by open declaration so the lord's supper is actually just an open declaration 
for us to show the Lord's death. Now, was there already an open declaration of the Lord's death? A little while ago, at the end of the last service? Was there? Okay. All right, both ordinances do the same thing. Uh, it was an opportunity for a young lady to pronounce, I have put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection is payment for my sin. I've trusted him. Do you realize that, that what you're going to do in just a little while as a Christian is an opportunity for you to openly proclaim to everyone, I believe in the shed blood of Jesus Christ as payment for my sin. It's the same thing. You're saying, doing the same thing that someone is doing when they get baptized. You're saying, you're making a proclamation. So this is a serious thing. And no wonder he was really angry about this and said, you're not even having the Lord's Supper. Because they were taking this lightly. And I, I, I would assume that it's possible for us to do the same thing. Just kind of go through the, the you know, well, we just do this every time. And I, every once in a while, whenever the pastor thinks about it, you know, well, we have the Lord's Supper. And we just take care of that and we go on our way. And we shouldn't do that. We, we are just like someone who gets baptized, which is a very special service. This is a very special service because you have the opportunity to say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and I want everyone to know it. And by partaking, that's what you're doing. So I, that is a precious thing. It was something that really stood out to me, and I'm thankful. I am proclaiming the effectiveness of Jesus Christ in his death as payment for my sin. Isn't that wonderful? I have a chance to do that each and every time we have the Lord's Supper. All right, then the challenge or consideration. Let's look at that, and we'll be done. Well, no, we won't. We'll have the Lord's Supper, Okay. But uh, the challenge or consideration. Verse 29 tells us, He that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, let me uh, say something very, very seriously. The unworthy are guilty of something very serious. The unworthy are guilty. Now, some people think they can't partake because they're unworthy. The idea is not, well, you're unworthy of salvation because no one would be partaking. No one in this room. We would all have to just sit there and look at the elements and say, oh, wow. So unworthily does not mean are you worthy of what Jesus did for you because no one's worthy. We never could be, never will be. We're sinners saved by grace. It's a gift. Understand that, right? Okay, so this is not something that we come and say, well, I'm worthy of this. That's not at all the attitude. But unworthy is a key word. The word unworthily means not fit. Or, and I think this is maybe even a better understanding, irreverently. So let me tell you the, the very serious matter he's dealing with here. And you say, well, this couldn't happen today. I don't know why it can't. Because unworthily means to someone who's unfit or irreverent. Two different ideas. First would be, I have sin in my life I haven't been willing to deal with. I'm unfit. It's inconsistent for someone who calls himself a Christian to be living in sin and then to sit down and partake of the Lord's Supper and act like, oh, that's fine. Because what you're saying is, he died for my sin. So I can't be unfit or someone who's living in sin and knows it and doesn't care about it. Do you understand how important that is then? All right, 
the second idea, if, if this word uh, irreverent would be this, I can't come and I shouldn't come ever and take it lightly. That, that this, is, this is an amazing thing, that Jesus died for me and I shouldn't take that lightly. Um, and then he says in this passage as well, he said, not discerning the Lord's body. Um, discerning means to discriminate. It, it, the, the idea would be this. You fail to understand what the body and blood of Christ given for you has meant and what it should mean. And that is that you have a desire to do that which is right. And if you're unfit and you partake anyway, look at what he says. Um, you eat and drink damnation to yourself. And verse 30 brings out the fact, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. It's an amazing thing. People had died because they took this, this time lightly because they were in sin, didn't care about it, didn't do anything about it. That's, uh, that's an uh, amazing and a very searching thought and a very important one. And it's no wonder. I, I, I know that some people um, talk about how, well, the early church, this was a very, it was a very festive service. I, I, I don't know where they get that from. I, I mean, you can read history. Historians might tell you some things or whatever, but I, I don't get where they get that picture at all. It doesn't seem to me like the disciples were festive when Jesus said, I'm going to die. And he gave them the, the bread, represented his body, or they drank the juice and it represented his, his blood that was shed. It's, it's a, this is a serious thing, and we need to take it. Uh, second thought under that is the individual is responsible. Isn't that true? Look at verse 31, and what does God say? For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. I understand there's a lot of things to debate and discuss in regard to closed communion, open communion, um, and I, I'm not here to debate that issue. That's for another time. All right. But um, I, I, I believe that the Lord's Supper is for anyone who's part of the family of God and that the responsibility does not fall upon the church to decide who's supposed to partake and who's not supposed to partake, but that it is the individual's responsibility to examine their life and say, you know, I really am striving to live for the Lord. I have a desire to live for him. I understand what the blood means and the, and the body that was given for me, and I'm so thankful for that, and I'm rejoicing in that tonight or this time whenever, whenever it's had. So the individual is responsibility. It's not the pastor. It's not the deacons. It's not the church to decide who partakes. It is a Christian to look at their life and say, here's my position before God, and I'm going to partake. And, and here's the thing. If you're not, let the elements pass you by. Maybe no one ever told you that before. But if there's something in your life, quite honestly, it's a good time for you as the elements are passed and as there's some time that passes in that, we, we play music, that you just spend a little bit of time in prayer and think, 
and uh, deal with things because the individual res is responsible. And finally, just to, to finish it out and think about this, the consequences are severe. The consequences are severe. And you know, God chastens. Here's the reason why, because we're not going to be condemned with the world. And so God, God takes seriously now when we sin and won't do, deal with it. And he chastens us now. Um, and, and that is also a pretty solemn, solemn truth. So it's a passage that we need to address and we need to think about and ponder. And as we have the Lord's Supper, again, this is, if you've 